0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The maths of Love Island. Would appearing on a reality TV show really boost your earnings power more than an Oxbridge degree? Bobby Seagull, the maths guru and former University Challenge team captain, joins us to run the numbers. As office interns knuckle down for a summer of hard work, we hear from FT Money's youngest recruit, 21-year-old Edwin Asosa, who has swapped interning at an investment bank for toiling on the newspaper. He speaks up in praise of diversity schemes. And as we await news of the Bank of England's interest rate decision, we speak to someone else in a sticky situation. James Max, our Rich People's Problems columnist, talks about the false economy of making your own jam. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast about personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, bringing you this week's news in downloadable form. As the UK drifts towards what increasingly looks like a no-deal Brexit, we're aware that many FT readers have taken refuge in a place where the inhabitants don't really know what Brexit is. I am, of course, talking about Love Island, the reality TV show. It is estimated that four million people watched Monday night's final and one of them was Bobby Seagull, the maths ace and well-known brain box from University Challenge. So why is he obsessed with this show? Joining me to explain himself is Mr Seagull himself. Welcome, Bobby.
2: Yes, well, I take a sip for my Love Island official water
0: bottle. <laughs> I know, you're very, you're very into the merch. Yes. But your column this week, I have to say... You drew a Venn diagram. Tell me more.
2: Yeah, so Venn diagrams are often taught to students when they're 11 or 12. But essentially it's a set, a circle, which represents the group of objects in that particular set. So ours, is, our particular Venn diagram has three sets. We've got the viewers of University Challenge, the viewers of Love Island and readers of the Financial Times. So each person is considered an object. As part of mathematics.
0: So just to run the numbers on that, roughly 3 million people watch University Challenge. 4 million, it's estimated, watch the Love Island final on Monday night, incredibly. And obviously we have closing in on 1 million paying subscribers to the FT. So how many people do you think are in that intersection in the middle who read the FT, watch University Challenge and watch Love Island? See,
2: firstly, I'd say it's surprisingly more than you'd think. Mm. Because on Twitter, again, again my, my PhD supervisor would say, oh, it's uncorroborated research. But based on Twitter, I think it could be in the significant tens of thousands, uh, maybe even hundreds of thousands. And especially, I think a lot of people have watched Love Island at least once. And I think Love Island claims that of the 18 to 34 bracket, 50% of those people have watched at least one episode. So I, I think the number's significantly higher than we think.
0: Well we have a very famous person who has admitted to being in that intersection Sir Steve Webb former pensions minister plus the FT Lex team as you mentioned in your column and the, FT's, and the FT's esteemed economics editor Chris Giles who penned a story last week claiming that contestants on Love Island can potentially earn more over the next five years than young professionals with a degree from Oxford or Cambridge. Tell me more about that. Yes I
2: think he looked at the contestants historically who've been on the show maybe that's like 30 per season and said that the average contestant stands to make 1.1 million in endorsements sponsored posts advertising protein shakes uh, and what you have (laughs) Um, and the winning couple upwards of 2 million and this year Jack and Danny I think 2 million could be an understatement they could go on to become national treasures there's already talks of a, a series following the Dyers and Mr Fincham but I think again this stat is where the case of lies damn lies and stats comes to play because there's, what, how many people are on Love Island? 38 this season. How many people are on Oxbridge? I think 3,000 per year. So if you're looking at hedging your bets, Oxbridge is probably still a safer, or a top university, still a safer way of guaranteeing good income rather than, Spending your time trying to look like an Adonis in the gym. Well, yes, because
0: of course the biggest barrier for, for, for entry for most people is that they don't look like um, a supermodel. But there's another statistic um, which you've bandied around in your, in your column that more young people, nevertheless, are applying to be on this reality TV show than are applying to study at Oxford and Cambridge. Should we be worried about this?
2: See, headline stats are definitely worrying. 85,000 mm. applied for Love Island. I actually set up an application myself. I didn't click submit (laughs) (laughs) just for science purposes to research and 37,000 applied to Oxbridge last year so on the headlines it looks like our country wants to be on an island in Mallorca rather than in a library reading about philosophy or politics or classics Uh, but again if you delve into the stats Love Island eligibility as long as you're above 18 and it generally tends to be 18 to 30 year olds I think there's about 11 million in that branch whereas university, generally for undergraduates, you're 17, 18. And that, I guess, is a much smaller population. So it's not a like for like comparison. So all sort of social economists, social scientists would be getting up at arms with this stat.
0: And finally, tell us what you've most enjoyed about watching the show this season you're an intelligent guy more <laughs> at home with you know quantum physics yes. than, you know working out how many decimal places of pie what what does <laughs> Love Island do for you
2: I think it's a combination of it is light hearted relief in a world where you switch on the TV and generally the news is quite depressing but secondly I think it, it's a way to connect with people that you wouldn't possibly have connected before again with my bottle even this morning I consciously deliberately take a sip on the tube to see if there are any other Love Island fans and I strike out conversations with people that I probably wouldn't normally strike up a conversation with. So actually, it's a great uniter for people from all backgrounds, knowledge, levels and aspirations. It just unites people.
0: Well, spreading the <laughs> love there, Bobby Seagull. You can read his column, The Maths of Love Island, in the FT Money section in Saturday's Weekend FT newspaper or online now at ft.com slash money. And don't forget that Bobby will be appearing live on the Money Saged with his Love Island water bottle at the FT Weekend Festival in London on Saturday the 8th of September. For tickets, go to the website ftweekendfestival.com. The summer holidays are now in full swing and offices up and down the land are welcoming interns seeking work experience. Many businesses, including the FT, have overhauled their internship programmes to encourage talented candidates from all backgrounds to apply so that what you know counts for more than who you know. This year we teamed up with Creative Access, a social enterprise finding internships for young people from black, Asian and minority ethnic backgrounds. They put us in touch with 21-year-old university student Edwin Asosa who interned for the last three summers at an investment bank, but I think we may have convinced him to become a financial journalist now. Welcome to The Money Show, Edwin. Thank you. So you've written a column for us, which has already attracted a huge audience online, and I'm just going to read out the first line of your piece. By the time I was 18, I earned more money than my mum. A staggering statistic.
3: So I'll give you some background on me. So I grew up in a council estate in Hackney and attended schools with very high rates of socioeconomic deprivation. In fact, in my secondary school, more people ended up convicted of murder than were accepted into Oxford or Cambridge. But I worked hard and did well in GCSEs and A-levels and managed to get a place to study PPE at Oxford, philosophy, politics and economics. And on top of this, I got an internship along with a scholarship for Credit Suisse on the Steps to Success programme. So they paid for my tuition fees in full.
0: Wow, so that's £27,000. Yeah,
3: £27,000. Well saved. done, Edwin. <laughs> yeah, along with free, very well-paid internships as well. So yeah, I was very happy with that.
0: So you wrote in this column to encourage other young people to apply for diversity schemes, but you stress good diversity schemes. So tell us about what you think makes a good one.
3: Yep, so above all, interns on your schemes need to be valued and shown that they're valued and seen as genuine employees as opposed to just ticking a box Um, and Credit Suisse made sure of this so for example we were given meetings with some senior executives at Credit Suisse the kind of people who are far too busy to normally spend time talking to a lowly intern like me and we were given wide exposure to the bank got to meet lots of people and did meaningful important work and too often people on these schemes do feel like they're not actually valued and they're just there for some diversity quota or something. So, yeah, that's that's the main, main thing for me, definitely.
0: And obviously working at an investment bank, very different from working at a financial newspaper. But after your three years of toil um, in the summer at Credit Suisse, how does working here compare?
3: Um, well, I'll stay diplomatic, but I'd say... <laughs> The main um, difference is your level of freedom. So working for the FT, you can come up with ideas and execute those ideas as you see fit. Whereas in a bank, you're given work and told to do X, Y and Z and to do it exactly as you're told to do. And that's the main difference of freedom.
0: Yeah, I suppose the the freedom is something that we can forget when we look at the salaries of those who work in the <laughs> investment banking sector, but certainly you've come up with some, with some great ideas while you've been here, um, not least your column about the best student bank account to open, which is still doing well on the website. Thank you. Um, but finally, what advice would you give other interns who are in your position?
3: Okay, so I realised a few things as I worked my way through the internships. So there are three major pieces of advice I would give. So firstly be active, meet new people and show initiative. Any prejudices or negative biases towards you will only be overcome once you get out there and erase them yourself. Second, find good mentors. You learn the most from people who have been in your position and who can relate to you and remember people are flattered to be asked for their advice or guidance so never be afraid to ask for it and most important always remember that you deserve to be in the position you're in.
0: Well, very good advice there from Edwin Asso. So You can read his column, Don't Dismiss Diversity Schemes, on our website now at ft.com money or in the newspaper this weekend. And if you want to apply for an internship or the graduate trainee scheme at the FT, go to our website aboutus.ft.com. Finally, as we recorded this week's podcast ahead of the Bank of England's hotly awaited interest rate decision, we have decided to have a serious debate about that on the podcast next week. Just as the MPC finds itself in a sticky situation, so does James Max, our Rich People's Problems columnist, who's been questioning the financial logic of making one's own jam. Welcome, James. Well, thanks. Before we get onto the jam, I could see that you were bristling um, when Edwin talked about not going into the investment banking world and coming to work for me at the FT instead.
1: Well, look, there's a huge amount to be said for coming to the FT. It's a wonderful place to work and I've thoroughly enjoyed until, uh, I don't know, somebody shows me, shows me the door and says goodbye, thank you. Unlike some of the readers, they seem to be warming. We'll come on to the comments. They seem to be warming. All I would say, though, is investment banking is the most extraordinary business. And if you do have the chance to work there and earn some significant money, uh, then coming to become a journalist where perhaps money isn't at the top of the agenda for what they might pay people, that could possibly be something that you want to consider for your career. That's all I say. (laughs) i just throw it out there. Okay.
0: well, as somebody who's come to journalism later in life, you you obviously are somebody who's who's multi-talented, but I have to say I didn't have you
1: down as being a jam maker, as you've revealed in this week's column. Well, this all started because uh, for many years on uh, the radio shows that I present, I've had newspaper reviewers, and I like to get people who have contrary views to me to ensure that we have some uh, debate, discussion, and also that the, the views and opinions that I have are put into check and balance by having somebody who can argue a good alternative case makes you think. So uh, Baroness Jenny Jones has been uh, one of uh, my paper reviews for many years she's amazing, uh, I don't necessarily agree with much of what she has to say but we found that there was this little bit of jam and she she brought some jam in once <laughs> The after, intersection after... in the Venn diagram <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, so she brought some jam in once after we'd had a particularly heated discussion about something to do with climate not changing or something or other uh, or wind farms or something ghastly like that. Anyway so she brought it, it was delicious and then she spoke to me about not only how she made it which was different from how many recipes are made but also got me kind of enthused about it and when my former employees as i i was um on the board of a, a, a uk branch of a french bank and uh, and then i wasn't anymore and i thought oh hello i've got some time on my hands i'll i'll grow some vegetables and grow some fruit and make some jam delicious seriously it's fantastic best thing i've ever done well Delicious,
0: maybe, but not very economically sound. Now, as well as the time...
1: Uh, 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 Well, just before you go down that route, it's not very economically sound. If you want to go to Asda and buy their cheapest jam, 28p a jar, I get that. But if you go to the more expensive vendors for the more genuine jams, it does actually begin to make economic sense. But you shouldn't just do it for the economics. It's not because you're trying to do something on the cheap.
0: Okay, so let's go back to that as jam. So 28p for a jar of jam. Incredible. I'm sure this will be a revelation for many listeners to the FT podcast. But your advice is it's actually a bargain. Throw away the contents, but keep the jar for your own
1: produce. Well, quite right, because the thing is, if you go online and you can try and buy the jars that uh, you need to put your jam in, unless uh, you've turned into some a sort of strange cat lady with or without a cat to go and store your jars, uh, they're very expensive. They're between 50p and a pound each for an empty jar. So these jowls that uh, Asda do, very nice, 28p, lovely.
0: Well, and there's obviously like, you know, array of of gingham covers and sticky labels and um, even an electric jam maker, um, which Lakeland has just reduced to £100. I know you've got your eye on.
1: Well, you you say that, but I'm not sure I want to take the fun out of it because there's, there's a risk in jam making that it can all go horribly, horribly wrong. Well, and, yes. And everyone is different. It's a little bit like a, a fine wine. A fine wine, you may have the most amazing uh, champagne house or, or, or vineyard or whatever it is, but every year there's a risk. Some years are better than others. Some uh, batches are better than others. And that's the same with jam. No two jams are the same. Cleaning
0: up after the jam has been made. Particular <laughs> problem for you, I understand. Well,.
1: To be honest, the thing about cleaning up is that inevitably, I I am not the cleanest cook in the world, let's be honest, Uh, and I describe uh, doing a Wendy. Uh, My mum is called Wendy, or The Wendy, and uh, she uh, makes a terrible, terrible mess whenever she cooks anything. Food output, delicious. The mess quotient is is extraordinary. And I'm afraid I picked that up. And to be honest, sometimes I just leave things for other people to... I mean, a a particularly sticky, jammy, residue-covered vessel in which you've created the jam. That's a horror to clean. I mean, that's a boiling water and leave to soak overnight job. Oh, I've left. I've left the house. I, I I may have put water in there with, you know, washing up liquid. I've left the house. Gone.
0: And then the housekeeper picks it up. Yes, she does. So, what? Um, give us a give us a selection of some of the stickier comments on the bottom of your FT column
1: this week. Well, look, some, some people have, have said, oh, oh, how lovely. And they've given me some recipes. So uh, this one from Lady Reader says, My grandma used to make brilliant jam from stuff we grew in the garden. Blackberries, black currants, gooseberries, rhubarb, elderberries, strawberries, apples, you name it. Whatever was fruiting at the time. Uh, the elderberry jam was an interesting one. She strained out all the solids through a cheesecloth and the jam became clear. I'd wow. like to try that. Bizarre. It looked it looked like an amber nectar and rhubarb and ginger. Another interesting one. I got more rhubarb than I know what to do with. So that could be a good thing. However, uh, other people less keen on on my article. Let's be honest. Uh, taken for a ride says this was written for a bet, wasn't it? And then goes <laughs> on to tell me about uh, uh, tell me you bet somebody some of your drinking companions uh, uh, that you could uh, write about jam making and the mugs at the FT would print it. It would be interesting to see how you top this. <laughs> And then there's, uh, there is another one uh, which uh, from Donald who who says that they enjoy The Weekend columnists and then they name them all and then they say, Having read a number of this guy's previous, quote, articles, unquote, I would say that the writer seems incongruous to the generally high standard of this section. Surely he would be more suited penning for these trite musings for a small local newspaper or maybe a parish magazine. <laughs> that really is quite quite stinging. it, it is quite stinging but then um there are some other ones which question so somebody questions for example where I've talked about using less sugar and they said but the whole point of jam was it was a preservative it mm. was it was to make fruit last longer and and <laughs> through yes, the food blockade through the food well listen just you think of brexit make jam everyone uh, anyway so uh, 50% was kind of the, the way forward so you so you match your sugar with your fruit weight Now, however, and this was a Jenny Jones thing, she said, use less sugar. Partly because you don't need so much to make it set. Partly because if it's delicious, it's not actually going to last that long. You don't need it to last years and years and years. And the other thing is that then the fruit begins to burst through. It's a cheap way to make it last longer and to go further, just by adding loads of sugar. It takes away all the excitement of the, and that's part of the reason why all the manufacturers do use a lot of sugar because it lasts longer. And and yes, it's a it's a spread. And there's a sort of element of fruit, but actually, the the less sugar you can use, and the more you can get away with actually using the fruit and the pectins and and the, and the uh, sort of contents within, the more delicious it'll be. It may go off sooner but it'll be more delicious and a a bit more gloopy. But make sure you don't end up making it French gloopy, which is too gloopy for jam. It's more of a sort of like sauce that drips off your bread. You want it to be gloopy jammy.
0: Right. Well, we've, we've got you there. There yes. you are. The, the correct ratio for jam and the Venn diagram of Love Island. Uh, it's been a holiday special on the FT podcast this week. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can email the money team, money at ft.com, or follow us on Twitter at FT Money. And we will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye.
1: Small details are big surfaces? Tight corners are odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured or tall? Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers.